You know, when the Marvel Cinematic Universe films originally started coming out in 2008, to me, they just sounded like a bunch of violent, shoot 'em up silly, super fantasy films, which they are. So I didn't watch any of them for a few years. But then, you know, five daughters, five son-in-laws, um, come on, Dad, let's go watch one of these, and I was hooked. As a kid, I grew up as a fan of Mission Impossible, Man from Uncle, Wild Wild West, and of course the original Star Trek. And then came out while I was in high school, Star Wars. 30 years, 5, 8, 40 years ago, who knows. But a new release is out or heading to our theaters near you. Finally, something kind of got me. After watching or hearing about Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, The Incredible Hulk 1 and 2, or different Hulk 1 and different Hulk 1, I'm not sure, Thor 1 and 2, Captain America 1 and 2, Avengers 1 and 2, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. seasons 1, 2, 3, and now 4, oh yeah, Spider-Man 1, 2, 3, Batman 1, 2, 3, X-Men 1, 2, 3, what's this thing about threes? It's a good number. Uh, Wolverine 1 and 2, and then there is, of course, way back from the 50s, Superman 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, ad infinitum. How many Superman movies have there been? And what I got after that much inundation was that human beings long for a savior. They long for someone to save them from the evil in our world and the evil in ourselves. And from a study of history, it appears that we had one of these who came from outer space a couple of millennia ago. But there's also a longing, a desire in many of us to be a superhero. I mean, what if we could fly faster than a speeding bullet, were more powerful than a locomotive, are able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Or just go from place to place real fast. Well, then, we could be the savior of the world. Or at least rich and famous. A few weeks ago, Clara introduced a new series called More Love and More Power from the Gospel Accounts of Jesus. We're focusing on the teachings and the actions of Jesus as they were recorded in the Gospels. And, of course, John said that even all of what Jesus did cannot be contained in all the books. So we're only covering a few of the topics, but a few that I hope will be helpful. This morning I want to look at a very familiar account from the Gospels, a story of Jesus and the unnamed Samaritan woman. And I want to talk about empowered living. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I... I stand here this morning as an example of my message. I have sought to partner with you to hear your voice and to now act upon what you have given. But I don't want only what I can do and what I've accomplished. We look for you, Holy Spirit. We look for you, Jesus, to be a part of this time. Holy Spirit, to teach, to lead, Jesus, to touch, heal, and mend, and lead us into your empowered life. 
Thank you for our guests that are here. Lord, just touch them. Continue to help them to come to know you in a much more significant way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to bring just a smidgen of background uh, to this story that is so familiar. And first I want to remind us of something we know, but is absolutely crucial for the story and for the rest of this talk. Christian doctrine teaches us that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, which doesn't add up and isn't rational, but it is what the Bible teaches and what we have accepted and understand to be true. In 451 A.D., a church council came together and, and wrote what, they, uh, what we call the Chalcedonian Creed. And I want to read this entire creed to you because in reality this is what we base from the scriptures an account of who Jesus is and was. And the creed says this, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us without sin." Begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's quite a mouthful. Not something probably any of you are going to memorize later today. But it does state for us, in language some that we understand and in some language that is difficult to understand or would need further explanation. But essentially is saying this truth, this doctrine, this understanding that Jesus was fully God and fully man. But perhaps the harder for us is to understand how did that work? Even the doctrinal statement from the Chalcedonian Creed simply states it to be true. But how did it work? Did Jesus function both by and via his humanity, needing food and rest, and also function in his deity when he healed the sick, raised the dead, and fed the multitudes? I would propose not, and so have others. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, addressed this fairly clearly in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, where he said, You, speaking to us, must have the same attitude or mind that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he set aside his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. As a human being, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What this is saying is that in some way, while still retaining his complete and full deity as God and nature as God, he set it aside and lived his life on earth for those 33 years as a human being like any of us. And that is an absolutely crucial understanding when we talk about the empowered life or living a life like Christ. If Jesus did the things that he did that were powerful and unprecedented and he did them as God, why in the world would we imagine that we can do anything like that either? But the truth is, I believe, that Jesus functioned fully and completely in his humanity. And the book of Acts talks about, excuse me, the, um, the Gospels talk about this crucial element that is Jesus did not yet do those things alone, but did them as one empowered through the Holy Spirit. Kevin referenced that this morning. We know that from the Gospels that at his baptism in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him, empowering him to live his life as a human being like us, but empowered through the person and work of the Holy Spirit to do what he could do, not do on his own as a human, such as heal the sick, cast out demons, walk on water, calm storms, raise the dead, multiply food. And then in the book of Acts, Luke records Peter summarizing Jesus' life. And this is a great declaration of who Jesus was and, and what it was he did. Acts 10.38 says, You have heard how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus was a real, natural, so to speak, human being. But he lived a supernatural life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as I've thought about what the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was like for Jesus and for us, perhaps the most comparable superhero that I could come up with might be Iron Man, whose source of power was within, but also outside of him. And it was something that he had to learn. So let's see if we've got a video clip that shows us how it, what it looked like. Okay, let's do this right. Start mark half a meter and back to center. Johnny, look alive. A little louder. Fire safety. You, Rollins. Okay. Activate hand controls. We're going to start up nice and easy. We're going to see a 10% thrust capacity. Chief lift. And three, two, one. Power can be a little interesting to try and learn about and figure out how to use. And I might suggest that learning how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit 
who is within us, but also from outside of us, might be something we want to think about. And then we're going to touch on that today. So I want to look at a day in the life of Jesus with the background that we have just touched on. Day about Jesus being a normal day like any other day. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well, and it was noon. Notice the words, Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. Think about all that Jesus faced in his years of ministry, from the challenges of the religious leaders to engage, to stop him, eventually even to put him on a cross. Jesus' life was a difficult one, that because he was human, I suspect he was troubled, perhaps not anxious. And he wasn't anxious probably because he knew how to connect with God, how to live a supported and empowered life by the Holy Spirit. He had learned to cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit functioning in and through his human body. Now, keep in mind this little trip here from Jerusalem to Sychar happens to be uh, about 30 miles. It's noon. 30 miles for us, 60 miles an hour, we'd get there in 30 minutes. Jesus was walking. No planes. No trains, no automobiles. And John tells us in verse 6 that Jesus was worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. Jesus was human. I suspect, according to his pattern, he'd probably gotten up very early that morning to pray and then had walked some portion of that 30 miles. It was noon. The disciples had gone into the village to buy food for lunch. You know, McDonald's, Burger King, not sure where they wanted to go that day. Jesus, however, was worn out, tired, thirsty, dusty, probably hungry. So he decides to wait outside of the village. A normal day in the life of Jesus. And while he was there, a Samaritan woman from the village came to draw water. Jesus asked for a drink of water, which initiated a conversation that would change her life forever, as well as the lives of most of those who lived in that village. Just picture with me, if you could. Jesus is sitting there, sitting on a stone off to the side. It's a hot sun, it's noon, it's desert. Perspiration pouring from his face, tired from the distance, not wanting to go into town, maybe because he needed a break from people. 
a break from the day in and day out demands of ministering and caring to for hundreds, maybe thousands of people at times. Yet even in that state, Jesus is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He embraces the Spirit's empowerment and he speaks to someone, a Samaritan and a woman, though it was both against the law and social norms to speak to her. And the outcome? Her life was changed forever, as were dozens, if not hundreds, in her village. A normal day in the life of Jesus. I want to pick up at the end of the story, reading again, where it speaks of the disciples returning. These are verses 1 through, uh, sorry, 7 through 35. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. But back in the village, she told the people, Come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. In the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? And he told them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. The disciples were puzzled. Who could have brought him food? Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is doing the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. And notice some differences here between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus had stayed to rest while the disciples had hurried after supplies for lunch. Jesus did not have an issue with going against the law and social norms to speak to this woman while the disciples were shocked at him doing so. Jesus is also more concerned about other people than food and the disciples are pretty connected with personal care and caring for Jesus. Jesus is very connected to participating in what the Father was doing even when his own physical body is demanding rest, and the disciples were missing completely the opportunity to notice what the Father was doing and the work that he was doing. John tells us that many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus, and he and his disciples spent two days there teaching and healing. Something I would, I'd like to encourage you to get out of this text is that empowered living, living through and by the power of the Holy Spirit, looks a lot like normal life. Jesus and the disciples had slipped out of Jerusalem to get away from the religious leaders as things were heating up there. Jesus and the disciples were on an ordinary road trip, though walking instead of driving. Jesus was tired, thirsty. My guess, he was was hungry, as were the disciples. Jesus is sitting alone, perhaps enjoying the view of the countryside, maybe resting his eyes as well as his legs. 
an ordinary person walks up to the well. And this ordinary looking person sitting at the well asks the person for a drink of water. Pretty normal kind of life. But notice something else. Empowered living goes beyond the normal life to being about real life, God's life. What started as an ordinary conversation very quickly advances to a conversation about living water, the real God, and what it means to be a true worshiper. And it ends with a person meeting the real God and their life being changed, as well as extending to a group of people also ending up meeting and connecting with the real God. Jesus was humanly worn out, but he was willing to set aside what he was feeling, what he was wishing for himself. He was willing to be alert, noticing what the Father was doing, embracing the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, to go beyond what he could do on his own, to see and assist God's life coming to a broken, hurting, and lonely person. The empowered life involves change and transformation in us. The empowered life involves seeing the world and people in it differently. The empowered life involves living naturally, but it also involves learning to live supernaturally. Learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and learning to work with His power. You remember what Jesus said to the disciples there at the very end? Look around you. Open your eyes. You're not seeing right. And I would suggest that Jesus has taught us that God is always at work. There's not a human being that we might meet or see that God does not love them and desires relationship with them. And what God is inviting to when he invites us to this empowered life is simply to participate in our regular life, but in a way that's connected with him and alert to him and embracing and welcoming the person of the Holy Spirit who can do more than what we can do. Are you shy? Are you intimidated to talk with people? I think the Holy Spirit might be able to help you. Do you struggle with with being able to even be alert? The Holy Spirit can help you. Jesus is inviting us through all of his commands and all of his directives and his times of leading and working and offering and inviting us to participate to do join him in this incredible empowered life. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking hopefully a little practically about what what this looks like. How, How does this work? How do we live cooperatively through the power person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And I want to use Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 as a as a framework for this. I believe Paul's letters a lot were written to try and help us figure out how to do this thing. How do, how do we live this life that Jesus is inviting us to? Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, Because of God's great compassion, 
I strongly urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, well-pleasing, and lead to wholeness and life. Paul describes here a four-stage process, so to speak, a pattern, a template for living the empowered life one of many that are within the scriptures. And stage one is the, is the simple entry point, presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Kevin mentioned this in his intro. We offer ourselves to God. If you hadn't noticed, God isn't interested much anymore in dead sacrifices, you know, killing goats and sheep and bulls and stuff like that. Since Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice of his own body on the cross, God has been inviting humankind to accept and to embrace his love, forgiveness, and a new life. And the response he's looking for us, for from us, is to lay down our life, wanting the world the way we want it, and take up wanting the world the way he wants it. And we do this through a moment-by-moment offering of ourselves our very life to God as a living sacrifice. And each of these stages, I'm going to pause at the end of each and I'm going to allow us to take a moment to reflect and consider how we doing, how we doing in offering ourselves to God. And I'm just going to allow us in silence for a moment within your own heart To say again to God, God, I offer myself to you. In any way, the words are meaningful to you. To simply acknowledge that the first decision we make to living an empowered life, the life that Jesus is calling it to, requires us to offer ourselves and to say, God, here am I. So would you join me? Would you just take a moment And just offer your life again to Jesus. God, we thank you the life that you have offered to us. Eternal life. And in return, we simply say, here am I. Have me. Holy Spirit, help us to live our lives as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Paul also speaks here about not being conformed to this world. There's not so much here 
a list of do's and don'ts. It's about our being. Through the leading and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. He doesn't mean like driving a car or shopping at a supermarket instead of growing our own food or even enjoying entertainment. No, the, the issue is not the thing. as the outcome. Is what we're doing, is what we're, how we're living, are the things we're participating in leading us to what is good, well-pleasing to God, and bringing wholeness and life. Conforming to the world in our internal being to a great degree reinforces us our desire for the world to be the way we want it. That's what happened in the garden. It's what's been happening ever since. In the world we learn to take what we want and to demand the world to be the way I want it at whatever cost. And so we see Struggle, and trouble, difficulty in marriages, difficulty in work assignments, difficulty in relationships, raising children. And what's required here is to simply become aware of those places and things in our life where the conformity to the world is hindering, is thwarting our ability to be engaged with God fully. And so, for a practical step in this, I'm going to encourage us again to pause. This time, instead of us telling God, my hope is that we can hear God. And I'm going to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there a particular element of expression of my life that's conforming to this world in such a way that it's hindering your life? That's maybe a real bold thing to ask God. But this isn't about shame or guilt. It's not about being bad. It's about seeing our lives transformed, being changed. And some of that's going to require partnership with God to see some things let go of that we hold dear. And so again, I'm going to pause and I'm just going to allow you to ask that question of the Holy Spirit. Is there something in my life, some way that I'm conforming to this world that is hindering the life that you long for me? And then listen.
Holy Spirit, thank you for your guiding light, for your voice that teaches us, guides us, leads us, strengthens us. Help us to begin to cast off those entanglements that are hindering the very life that you long for us to have, that are hindering us from living the full, the real life, the empowered life. Help us today and tomorrow and the next day to see these entanglements set aside, cast off, that we might walk a new way. In Jesus' name. Third element that Paul highlights here is being renewed in our mind. Being renewed in our mind. Which is, I think, referencing the aspects of mindsets and, and worldviews. Clara referenced that last week. Where our very thinking is, is not in cooperation with God. We're just not connected in ways with him that we could be. And again, this isn't about anybody being bad. It's about needing this process of God in our lives. To be able to be the people he's called us to. To live the empowered life. And one of the best ways to see our minds renewed is by spending time with God. Spending time in His Word, learning about Him and His ways, taking action to change our thinking, to be aligned with Him and His ways. Two great questions to ask yourself when you're having perhaps a pattern of negative thinking. What are you filling your mind with? What is it on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis? What is filling your mind and your thinking? Are you filling your mind with worldly thinking and patterns? Or are you filling your mind with God's thoughts? And a second one is, are the patterns of my thinking leading me to what is good, well-pleasing to God, and bringing wholeness and life to me and others? I've been personally on a journey now that's three or four years old of really, really wanting to see these things in my life, to really be walking in a place of connected relationship with God, not just in a morning in a devotional time, not just in a community group meeting or a time of prayer with friends, but when I'm at work, when I'm driving. And... One of the things that I have recently done is I've begun to think about Jesus as my teacher. That Jesus wants me to be his apprentice. And so I've begun to sort of walk through my day with a thought in mind, Jesus, is there something I need to learn here? Is there something that I'm just kind of missing out? And um, two weeks ago... Um, I was 
standing at the sink in our business office kitchenette area. And I had a thought come to my mind. Well, that's real common, right? My mind wanders. My mind goes all over the place every day, all day. And this was a thought about an incident from my past that was sad. And my initial thinking began to do my little rabbit trail of thinking those sort of sad, negative, disappointing thoughts. But before I hardly turned my head to go in that direction, the Holy Spirit prompted me in my being, no words, but prompted me, thank God for that incident. And I did. And it led me to a way different place than that other little bunny trail. A couple days later, I was driving home in my car and a person came to my mind who um, we had had a great friendship with. But at some point, that friendship ended and it didn't end as lovingly and kindly as we either one of us would have liked. And so the memory of that person, my natural human response is to go down the little bunny trail of hurt, disappointment, sadness. And that same quickening in my being. Thank God for this. Well, how can I thank God for all that yuck? No, no, no. Thank God for all the good. We had a great friendship for many years. It's very meaningful to me and to them, to Claire and I both. And then I genuinely invited God to bless them and to fill them with all the resources they need to live life as God would have them. That's what I'm thinking about when I think about needing my mind to be renewed. I have these ways of thinking, these patterns of life about how I do things, how I want things. And some of that just needs to go away. I need to stop going down those bunny trails and to start listening to and being alert to the person of the Holy Spirit who is always with us, who's always concerned about what's happening in our lives and what's going on in our being. Are the patterns of my thinking leading me to what is good, well-pleasing to God and bringing wholeness and life to me and others? There's a verse in Philippians 4.8 that is really on target for this idea where Paul encourages us in ways to focus our thinking. Here's what he says. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. Think about the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Think about things to praise, 
not things to curse. Think about that which is good, kind, lovely, beautiful, positive. We need our minds renewed. God's inviting us to a, a new kind of life, a life that we don't, cannot live on our own, that we, a place where we cannot go on our own. But He is going with us. He's with us on this journey towards the empowering life. I believe with all my heart that every person in this room wants more out of life. There's not a one in here that you wouldn't be here if you really didn't care. We want this kind of life. We just don't know how to do it to a great degree. So we need the help. That's the whole point of the power and learning how to cooperate with it. Iron Man needed to start at 2.5% power thrust, not 10. I watched the other clip too where he did it at 2.5 and he actually made it except for torching his cars. Anyway, we need to learn how to live with the power of the Holy Spirit, to learn to live, to hear His voice, to sense His presence, to be able to look and see differently. Jesus said, you've got it all wrong, boys. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. The real life is about what God is doing and is inviting us to participate with Him. The last Stage that Paul speaks of here is discerning the will and ways of God. This fourth stage is the very aspect of living the kind of life. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Presenting our bodies to God. Removing conformities to the world, elements in our thinking being renewed. And as we walk out that journey, we will begin to recognize and to see and understand God's will, His heart, the ways that He wants to relate to others and He wants to relate through us. To be practical, I want to encourage you that discerning the will and ways of God are not just about religious activities, but it includes all the aspects of our lives. It includes how we're going to treat our children in the morning when we get up grumpy. It's going to be how do we relate to this coworker who's difficult, who I don't really like. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is for praying for the sick and seeing them recover. But it's also about being nice to the cashier and leaving an impression that would be a picture of what, how Jesus would have treated them. Discerning the will of God and His ways comes as a result of offering ourselves to Him. 
of looking to lay down those things that are hindrances, to allow his word and his words to penetrate our hearts and change our ways of thinking. The empowered living looks a lot like normal life. And it goes beyond normal life to being about real life, God's life. Empowered living is about seeing, sensing the activity of God and taking action to cooperate with Him through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to do what we can do and to do what we cannot do on our own. My invitation this morning as we conclude this time is to be reminded of those four aspects. To jot them down, to review that that passage. To wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, I offer to you myself today. Help me to not be conformed to this world. Help me to be transformed in my mind and the way I think. Teach me your ways. Help me to live the life Jesus would live if he were I. Let's pray. Papa, we desire your life. I think at the core of our beings we long to live the life that you have destined us to live, that you have called us to live, that you are empowering us to live. We want to be the kind of people who can speak to a hurting, broken person in ways that they can encounter you and know your love and forgiveness and healing. We want to be reputable employees. We want to be stewards of all the resources you have given us. And we want to learn to cooperate with what you are doing, to learn to have eyes to see, ways and ability to sense to sense you. To live beyond what we can do on our own to an empowered life the same way Jesus did. Holy Spirit, come. Stir our hearts, stir our minds, stir our bodies with longing for your ways. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the way. I'd invite you just to just to slip your hands out into a posture of open palms up to God. Paul says, Be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians four. Be being continually filled. 
We need to be filled again. We need to be inundated. Swallowed up in the person of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I welcome you now. Come and fill. Come and fill us. Fill us again. Open up your floodgates of life and power and your presence to come. Fill. Fill us to live this life you have called us to, to be the people you have called us to be. Fill us to be like Jesus. Fill us with your empowering presence. That we might be your hands and feet. That your eyes would be seen through ours. That we would see the way you see. That we would be a part of bringing your message and good news and power and life to this hurting and broken, lost world. Even this week, tap us on the shoulder. Point out someone to pray for at a distance or to talk to up close. Tap us on the shoulder when we're working that you're there and that you want to help us with the challenge we're facing. When our minds begin to think negative thoughts, tap us on the shoulder. Remind us to thank you for all the good things that are in our lives and the ways that you bring good even through difficulty. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us again. Your ways, your will done in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite folks that often do come up and anyone who wants to pray for others. Uh, perhaps you're facing a, a challenge in your life that you would like someone to come alongside to pray with, talk with.